0: I, uh, I attempted to sing in Spanish once. I, uh, Sue and I went to visit uh, Larry and Roseanne Thornburg in Madrid, Spain. And uh, they said, well, you can sing uh, at our church. And then uh, we went to their family camp. And so a lady in the uh, church in Tukwila translated the words of some songs that I knew well had accompaniment tracks for them and translated them into Spanish. When I got to Spain, they said, no, no, we would not say it like this. And so they retranslated it, and I tried to learn to pronounce the words. And after I got done, one of the members of the congregation said to me, your Italian was perfect. (laughs) Could it be that I had voice lessons in singing Italian and my pronunciation went that way? I don't know. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, if you're opening your Bible, and I hope you are. Sue and I took uh, our son and his family to lunch yesterday for his birthday. He, they lived down in Woodenville. So we said, Well, where would you like to go to eat? And he said, uh, A certain barbecue restaurant, which will be nameless, as you'll find out why in a minute. But. Uh, so we went there with great expectation and made the selection from the menu and waited and and our food came and uh, I ordered brisket uh, they, they bill it where are you at Jerry they bill it as Texas brisket and uh, even have a sauce they call it Texas barbecue sauce so I thought hey that's that's where I'm at right there and and uh, my son got a combination of things Sue got some of that brisket as well and and it came and it looked beautiful and And when I was trying to take a bite off of it, I thought, it's something not quite right. And I put it in my mouth, and it was chewy. It was kind of like, what do they call that, squid? Uh. (laughs) So I'm not one to complain at restaurants a whole lot, you know, especially if I'm going to go back there. But... uh, I didn't think I'd be going back to this place. So when the guy came around, he said, how is everything? We said, well, (laughs) it's not that great. And turns out uh, all their brisket was that way yesterday. And so they brought us some other meat, which was fine. And uh, I am none the worse for wear. (laughs) Making food look good is only half the battle. And it's not the important half. It's the taste, it's the flavor, it's the texture, it's what's inside that really counts. And as we uh, begin Matthew chapter 6 today, we're going to understand that Jesus is going to talk about Christianity, and he's talking about going deep in following him, and what he's going to say is, it's not just the looks that matter when it comes to Christianity. Please follow as I read from Matthew 6, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That your charitable deed may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly." Drop down to verse 16, please. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. As in all of the scripture, God speaks in broad themes, and he speaks in very specific sub-themes. The most famous sub-theme in this passage is the verses we skipped, which are typically referred to as the Lord's Prayer. Now, make uh, no mistake, we're definitely going to spend some time in the Lord's Prayer in a few weeks. But there is a broad theme that we need to take note of, because if we... If we get focused down into those sub-themes, we might miss the big picture, and the big picture is just as important. In fact, Jesus gives the big picture first, and then those important sub-pictures there. The the theme that is here is seen through these little verbal clues. Look what he says in verse 1. Take heed, pay attention, listen up, and do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. That is the theme of this passage. And in verse two, he gives us a clue. He says, here's the theme, verse one. Now in verse two, therefore, because I'm talking about this theme, don't do your charitable deeds in a certain way. Verse five, and when you pray. And then we come down to verse 16 and and the New King James translates it moreover. It could just be, again, the word when. And if you look at it in in the original language, these clues are very clear. here's the principle, the topic, and boom, here's here's an illustration, here's an illustration, here's an illustration. And so Jesus uses these three illustrations to teach the principle. And the first one has to do with helping the poor, the second one has to do with praying, and the third one has to do with fasting. And so if we're going to apply this to our lives right, we need to understand, first of all, what do these righteous deeds mean that he was talking about? If you look at verse 1, it says, Take heed that you do not do your, and I'm reading from the New King James, it says, Do not do your charitable deeds before men. Now, in, in look in verse 2 as well, if you would. In verse 2, and if, you have, uh, if you're familiar with the King James, or if you have it, you know the word alms, A-L-M-S. And the word alms had to do with giving charity. Um, If there was a beggar beside the street, they would refer to it as giving alms. They didn't refer to it as giving alms when you went to the temple to give your offering to the Lord. That was different. Giving alms was a charitable deed. And so the the New King James has translated it that way, the charitable deed. But in verse 1, the actual proper reading in the Greek text would be this, a deed of righteousness, And it's different from verse 2, and there's a reason. The reason is, verse 1, is the theme. The theme is how you do your righteous deeds. And Christ is going to talk to us about that. And so he he says, listen, first of all, I want you to understand that I'm talking about the way that you do righteousness. You see, in chapter 5, he's given a whole list of things, and he said, you know, for instance, he said, it's not just about not doing adultery, but it's all the way to your thought life. Everything's got to be righteous. And he does that over and over. It's not, just a, it's not just one deed. It's the whole process of your life. But now he's going to go one notch deeper and talk about the motivation for those deeds. Why are you doing those things? And so he's talking about acts of righteousness And, uh, of course, the the first act of righteousness that he talks about in verse 2 is the charitable deed or the giving to the poor. The literal rending would be this, an act of mercy. An act of mercy. You could almost say it's any kind of helping one another. Now, in the common use, in this day and age, what that word meant was giving money to poor people, helping out the poor. And, uh, he, he, uh, and then he goes on. Well, and let's, let's just think about that for a minute. An act of mercy. And what we need to understand is uh, the giving of alms was not a regular kind of practice from the Old Testament. But the idea of being merciful was a common theme in the Old Testament. And here's an example. In Leviticus, in the repeating of the law, it says this. If one of your brethren becomes poor and he falls into poverty among you, then you shall help him, like a stranger or a sojourner, that he may live with you. Now, see, what I'm trying to help you understand is God didn't give a specific command in the Old Testament that said, now you're supposed to give 2% of your income to poor people. He didn't say that. But he did say, you should be merciful. So if somebody falls on hard times, that's what he's saying here, help them out. And that, that general theme of being merciful is there in the Old Testament. The other thing about being merciful to poor people comes with the, the rules about harvesting. And it said when, when you're harvesting, if you're, if you're picking things up and some of it falls on the ground, let it lay. And then people like Ruth in the Old Testament come along and glean They pick up the things that were left laying. And the scripture also said don't cut the corners in your fields. Leave the corners standing. And so God purposefully said be merciful, be helpful to people that are poor. But there was no rule about almsgiving. And so Jesus is coming along saying now listen, if you're going to help the poor here's how I want you to do it. And then he goes on to the second example which is prayer. Now we would look at prayer and and think, well, that's pretty straightforward, but there's a little element of their practice you need to be aware of, and you'll see why in a minute. In the time of Christ, there were three times a day that were, that were um, not commanded to pray, but sort of, sort of expected and sort of normal. We have a mental image today of the Muslims who pray, I believe, five times a day, and they get down and bow down, uh, they aim toward Mecca, and they prayer their prayers. It was similar to that for the Jewish people in the time of Christ. There was the morning sacrifice that went on every day for the nation. There was the evening sacrifice every day that went on for the nation, and then there was midday. And so there were three times a day when they were, if you were a very spiritual person, you would pray. Uh, nine in the morning, essentially noon, and uh, late in the afternoon would have been those times. You remember the story of Daniel in the Old Testament? And they said, you cannot pray to anybody except the statue. And it said, Daniel went home, as was his custom, facing Jerusalem, and prayed three times a day, morning, noon, and night. That's when he prayed. And so that was the custom that was going on. Now you remember that. We'll come back to it in a minute. The third thing that Jesus talks about here is fasting in verse 16. Now fasting is essentially not eating for a spiritual reason. I'm not that spiritual yet. The idea of fasting in the scripture seems to be that a person would come to a point that they are so burdened by something that they just put food aside and they spend the day in prayer. And it wouldn't even necessarily mean that they prayed 100% of the day. The idea is, I am putting that away. They didn't do it to, like, earn God's favor. Uh, some religions have kind of given us that idea that if you deprive yourself, somehow God is honored by that. That was not what fasting was about. Fasting is, is, was only commanded one time for the Old Testament believers, and that was on the annual Day of Atonement. And in fact, what it says is interesting. It doesn't say to fast, but it says you shall afflict your souls. I thought that was interesting. It it doesn't specifically say deny yourself food, but that's what they understood by afflicting your souls. So that's the only time it was commanded. And yet the Pharisees in the day of Christ had multiple times when they would fast, and um, they had other reasons for it, perhaps, as we'll see in a minute and we'll talk about fasting in a few weeks as we work through this passage as well. Um, and so, in summary here, and we're still kind of in introducing this, Jesus used these three activities, helping the poor, prayer, and fasting, to teach an important spiritual principle. And here's what that principle is. Righteous deeds can be done selfishly. Righteous deeds can be done selfishly. There is a potential for duplicity. To be duplicitous means you have two two things going on at once. And in particular, and here, uh, Jesus uses some language that for us will be very um, graphic when he says here in verse 2, Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the... Hypocrites. Now, I don't know if you know of where the word hypocrite, hypocrite comes from, but it comes from the word for a Greek actor. In the time of Christ, a Greek theater, if you, any of you have ever been in the theater, you'll recognize these two masks as kind of a symbol of theater today. And the reason is because in the Greek theater, they would have multiple characters, but maybe only two or three actors. And the actor would hold a mask in front of their face. And if they were supposed to be sad, they would hold a sad mask. Or if they were supposed to be a man, they would hold a male mask. Or if a woman, and so on, they could be any character simply by holding a mask in front of their face. They were the hypocrites, the ones who put something onto themselves to become something different. Obviously, there's no change. It's the same person, but different masks. Jesus called the Pharisees mask wearers. He called them hypocrites. Why did he call them hypocrites? He said there is a potential for being a hypocrite in your righteous deed. And if the word hypocrite isn't enough, look at the the little phrase that's so simple to us and it says to be seen, verse one, to be seen, verse uh, several times throughout here, to be seen, to be seen. You know what word that is? That comes into English in the word theater. Theater. An actor doing theater in regard to righteousness. And he said it's possible for somebody to put a mask up to try to cover what's really going on inside. Now, what is that sinful inside that he is warning us about? You see, because he doesn't condemn charitable deeds, he doesn't condemn prayer, he doesn't condemn fasting. He condemns this inner wrong motive. Verse 1, take heed that you do not do your righteous deeds before men to be seen by men. To be seen by them. Look at verse 2. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, that they may have glory or praise or honor from men. And then verse 5. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the corners of streets, that they may be seen by men. And then down to verse 16. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear to men. They want to show themselves to people around them. It is possible to do the things God prescribes primarily to gain praise from people. That's what Jesus is warning us about. And and obviously this this is a sin that we have to look inside for. I can't look into you and you can't look into me. But Jesus said, there are people, he called them hypocrites. They were the Pharisees. He said, the reason they do the things they do is so people will go, look at that man. Look at that person. Look how great they are. This was the sin of Ananias and Sapphira in the in the book of Acts when they sold a piece of property for a certain amount of money, and they came and said, "Here is all the money from that sale of property, and the truth was they held some of it back and and, and God said through the apostles he said they said, "Look, you didn't have to give it all, but you have lied to God about this. Why would they do that? They would do it because they just saw before that a guy named Barnabas come and give all of his stuff." And obviously, people must have went, "Wow, Barnabas, what a great thing! Thanks, good job." As they would, and they said, "We want to get in on that." There was a guy named Diotrephes in the book of Second John, and this is God's opinion of him. He loves the preeminence; he ruled the church. Because he loved to be lifted up as something. The apostles. Do you remember the apostles as they're walking down the road with Jesus? They're arguing, who's the greatest? Do you think, I think I'm the greatest. No, I think I'm the greatest. They wanted to be something. The mother of James and John came to Jesus and said, Now when you come into your kingdom, could one of my boys be on your right hand and one on the left? In other words, prince, prince number one and Prince number two. This, there's a desire in us to be something, to be seen as something. Everybody defines it differently. Some people want to be powerful in, in, in one area or rich in another area or, or whatever it might be. But the most insidious sin of all is taking the things of God and doing the things of God so that people will go, you are something, and that's what the Pharisees did. Righteous deeds can be designed selfishly. Look at verse two, this gets worse. When you do a charitable deed, and literally when you, when you do something merciful for the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues. Now, all of the commentators that I read this week said there's no historical evidence that they actually blew a trumpet and came and gave their merciful giving. So it's a little bit of an obscure reference. But somehow, what Jesus is saying is this. Don't toot your own horn when I was a kid, we had a family friend who used to say that to me all the time. Well, if you don't toot your own horn, nobody else will. Now in retrospect, I have a picture of his face and he's kind of he's kind of snickering while he says it. <laughs> if you don't toot your own horn, nobody else will. And I thought, yeah, that makes sense. That was he did not give me the whole story. These people here figured out a way to give to the poor that tooted their own horn. How do you toot your own horn in a spiritual... Isn't that a great sentence? How do you toot your own horn in a spiritual manner? (laughs) Just write that down think about that this week. If nothing else, in this whole sermon, and and say, well, I don't want to do that. Well, let me give you a broad thought, because the broad topic is deeds of righteousness. It's not just about giving to the poor. Here's a thought. Only take on ministries that are seen publicly. I remember reading, uh, or perhaps, you know, that have some glory attached to them. I remember reading an article about church planting a few years ago, back when the term young, upwardly, mobile was applied to Younger people in the society, you know, yuppies. These are the people who are college educated and had professional jobs and they're moving up in the world. And the article said everybody feels called to plant churches among the yuppies, but nobody feels called to plant churches among those who have real struggle, the down and out, the poor, etc. Do you pick ministries that are something? Not many people feel called to the nursery. Now I know there's multiple reasons for that. Diapers is one of them. And no, I will not be changing that baby's diapers. (laughs) Not unless I have to. I guess. (laughs) Not many people feel called to the cleanup committee after an event. And I know there's multiple reasons for that. And I know I'm drawing a, a I'm, I'm painting with a broad brush today. I know that. But my, my challenge is to stop and say, is there any hint of pride in my choice of doing things for the Lord? Because if there is, it's just wrong headed. It's wrong hearted. God says, don't be about tooting your own horn. Here's a real backdoor way to toot your own horn complain when people don't say thank you enough for your service to the Lord. I knew somebody many years ago in a far, far away place who taught Sunday school forever, longer than I'd been alive, I think and did a great job, and the kids learned. My kids learned, and it was our habit there, as it is our habit here. Apologies to those of you who don't have the privilege yet. We would like to be there. We had two teachers for each class, and the teachers would rotate every month or every three months or whatever it was, so people have a little break. And every once in a while, sister so-and-so would complain that she didn't have anybody to rotate with in her class. And we'd say, well, we'll have to find somebody to do that. Well, no, 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 no. Well, what is it, sister so-and-so? You just want to complain so we'll know you've been teaching for years and years and years? If you're doing things for the Lord, it shouldn't bother you that you don't get praise from people because you should be looking forward to the praise of the Lord. It's really tempting sometimes to think, boy, those people don't appreciate what I do. The question I want you to ask this week is, why am I doing it? Why am I doing it? Look at verse five. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues or on the corners of the streets. Now, if you hadn't thought about it before, you might just think, well, what did they do? Did they just go outside and stand on the street when they prayed? No, remember what I said about the three times a day to pray? There was a morning prayer, there was an evening prayer, and one in between. The, the, the two outside ones went with the sacrifice, and then there was this one. How would you design your actions so that it would get noticed? You'd get up in the morning, and you'd comb your hair, and put on your robe, and have your coffee, and you'd think, it's 8.55, Prayer time's at nine. I'd better hurry and get out to the corner. Oh my, it's nine o'clock, time to pray, and here I am on the busiest corner of town. What am I going to do? Well, I'll just have to pray right here. Oh God! And you think, really? Yeah. Yeah no yeah they love to be there or in the synagogue see there was nothing in the rules in the law in their norms that said you got to be in the synagogue at nine in the morning and there was nothing that said they had to be on the street corner they could have stayed home And then verse 16. Verse 16, talking about fasting. Now they had, I believe, two days a week when they were supposed to be fasting. And and unless you get too sympathetic for them, it didn't mean they didn't eat all day long. For the Jewish person, the day uh, started at sunup and it ended at sun... um, Let me get that right. Yeah, the, the new day started at sundown. And so, in other words, once the sun goes down, it's it's sort of like a new day, and they could eat then. Uh, that's that's what the Muslims do today when they fast for a month. They don't eat during the day, but they eat at night. Okay. And so, but they have these days when they were supposed to be fasting, and look what Jesus said: Don't be like the hypocrites who have a sad face. They disfigure their face that they may appear to be fasting. In other words, when they went out on the day of fasting, they they did something to their appearance. They didn't comb their hair as he speaks about, or they didn't wash their face. They maybe they contorted their oh you know, I, I don't know what they did, but somehow people go, Hey, brother, what's wrong with you today? Oh, nothing. I'm just fasting to the Lord. Really? Yeah. Look what Jesus said. They designed acts of righteousness so people would notice all of their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garment. A phylactery was a little box that they would put a little scrap of paper with a, a Bible verse written on it. They would put it there and tie it on their hand or tie it on their head. And that was a... Uh, in my opinion, a foolish application of what God intended when he wrote Deuteronomy chapter 6 and 7. And he said, keep God's word like a frontlet between your eyes, like something tied on your hand. The idea was, have God's word always right there in your mind and in your deeds. They took it and tied it on their hand and said, I'm doing what God wants. And so these guys, in the time of Christ, made their little boxes bigger. I'm really carrying the word of God around. You know, it, 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 it would be equivalent today, I don't have one here, but to have one of those really big, thick study Bibles, the kind you can knock people out with, and packing that Bible around instead of a New Testament that fits in your pocket, either one of which would be okay, but they did these things to be seen they enlarged the border of their garment there was a there was a mandate for having a fringe on your garment but they enlarged theirs so it would be extra big they loved the best places at feast the best seats in the synagogue greetings in the marketplace and to be called teacher teacher they wanted to go through the market and somebody would see them over there like i can see Kathy Gole and go oh oh teacher Gole and they and when that happened they went that's right really but you don't call yourself rabbi or teacher or master the the word has several kind of meanings to it they called Jesus rabbi and he didn't reject it because he was the master he said you don't call yourself that for only one is your teacher the Christ and you are all brethren do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. Now, is it, is it wicked to call me Pastor Dave? No, it's not. But I hope you notice that if somebody says, Hi, I'm John, I say, Hi, I'm Dave. Because I don't want to be called Reverend I don't mind being called pastor, especially by younger people, but we are all equal before the Lord. When I was a youth pastor, uh, way back in the days when you had to write letters on paper, (laughs) I sent a letter to a a youth pastor friend of mine. I don't know if we were planning some ministry together. I don't remember what the occasion was. He was a little ahead of me in Bible college, but we were there together, and he was in one church, and I was in another, and... And I wrote him this letter, and he sent me an answer back, and he signed it, Pastor Bill. And I thought, what? Pastor Bill, come on, first of all, you're not my pastor. And we're, we're colleagues here, we're brothers here, what's the deal? Jesus says, listen, don't put anything on to be seen. Only you know. Only you know what's going on in your heart. But here are some things that may help you from this text as Jesus pencils it out. Righteous deeds should be done sincerely. The word sincere means it's kind of like consistent. Um, There's no fault in it. And it's the opposite of the hypocrite. The hypocrite is not sincere. The hypocrite has one meaning underneath and another on the front. Jesus said no masks, no masks, No no false meanings. He said, righteous deeds should be done sincerely. And the first thing that we note is this sincere righteousness is selfless. Sincere righteousness is selfless. Look at verse two. When you do, when you give to the poor, when you do a charitable deed, don't sound a trumpet, as they do in the synagogues and the streets. Verse 3, but when you do a charitable deed, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Verse 6, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have, I think the King James uses the word closet, the, meaning, the original meaning of the word would just mean a room that's kind of set aside in your house. Um, it might have even meant a storeroom, so it was kind of a private place. Go into your room when you've shut your door. Pray to your father who's in the secret place, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Sincere righteousness is selfless. Think with me about John the Baptist for a minute. He was the forerunner of Christ, he was the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. He was born before Christ, he went into ministry before Christ. Several scriptures talk about all of Israel going out to him. In other words, there was a huge, massive response to his ministry. But there came a day, there came a day when Jesus began his ministry and people started to follow Jesus instead of John. And the disciples of John became concerned that people were leaving John and going to follow Jesus. And so they came to John, and they said, John, do you realize what's going on here? And this was John's reply. He must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, I must decrease. I understand that God only does his work on this planet through his people, and so we are vital to his work. But within that understanding, we, us, our recognition needs to be absolutely set aside. We need to be about God's business and His glory and honoring Him, and thoughts of ourselves need to be just let go. To be selfless. I had a man in my church in Boardman, Oregon, little mission church out in the boondocks. Three men went into the ministry out of that church, and not due to my work there, but to others who had cultivated that field before me. This man had been to Bible college in, a, in another place when he lived there as an adult with a family. So he he made his way through Bible college Felt the Lord was calling him into the ministry, but he'd never actually been in the ministry yet. He was an electrician, a heavy electrician, worked out at the power plant there and uh, moved there for that job. And so he was there in the church. He played the guitar, he sang, he preached, he teached, what, Whatever you want him to do, he would do. And he had a saying that I thought was, was just so poignant. And, and uh, he said this, don't raise your hand and never say no. Now, here's a guy who wanted to be a pastor. And what did he do about that? I assume he prayed about it. In our church, he did anything we asked him to do. But he never pushed himself forward. And he preached at all the churches around the county whenever their pastor would be sick or gone. People knew this guy would preach, and so they'd call him to preach. And whenever they called, he said, I'll go. Don't raise your hand, but never say no. And eventually, the Lord called him to a church, and he went there, and I had a chance to go to his ordination and to see his church, and he did a great job. And he never once promoted himself, he was selfless. That's really what this verse is about in in, in 1 Corinthians 13. Love does not parade itself. I I will confess to you that studying Matthew 6 helped me to understand that verse better than I ever have. Is there any way at all that I am somehow trying to get recognition for what I do for the Lord? Because if there is, I am parading myself. It's just like I went out and got a permit and I walked down Main Street and said, Look at me. And if we saw somebody doing that, we would say, who do you think you are? We kind of say that anyway when we see parades sometimes, don't we? Look at those people. What are they doing in the parade? (laughs) Not the fire trucks. Fire trucks are always great in the parade. (sighs) Oh, friend. Jeremiah the prophet said, the heart is deceitful, and it's exceedingly wicked. Who can know it? This has to be a constant and a consistent evaluation on our part to say god i don 't want to raise i don 't want to raise my own hand, I want to let you call me into ministry now does that mean it 's wrong to offer to do something that needs to be done in god 's work Absolutely not there 's a difference between responding to a plea that says Would you please do XYZ ministry? We need some help. It's wonderful to come forward and say, I'll be glad to help with that. But that's different from pushing yourself around and forward and trying to make yourself into something so people will notice. That's what this verse is about. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. When we share testimonies, Is God the feature of our testimony, or us? When we pray, is it about God, or is it about us? When we give money, do we do it in simple ways, just to make God's work go forward? Sincere righteousness is selfless. Number two, sincere righteousness is generous. Look at verse three. When you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now Jesus is obviously using some hyperbole. I mean, I happen I, I usually don't bring coins in my pocket to church for a number of reasons, um, not the least of which is that I might play with them. I have them today because I'm not going back home after church. Does my left hand know what my right hand is doing right now? <laughs> That's obviously a hyperbole. But Jesus is, what is he really saying? He's saying, get your mind off of what you're doing and get it onto the ministry that you're participating in. In other words, it's possible to be so focused that we say, oh, I'm putting $100 in the offering. Oh, I'm really something. And, 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 and we're all about that amount and how great we are. And, and, and Jesus is saying, just give. And, and really don't take note of it. Don't keep score of it. The volunteer coordinator at the sheriff's office where I serve keeps track of hours. Every month I get an email that says, how many hours were you there this month? It's kind of an accountability thing too. Kind of like, are you actually doing something as a volunteer? Well, they keep track of all those hours because the sheriff needs to report how many volunteer hours and kind of, kind of give a concept of how much value the community is investing in the sheriff's office. And, and that's a good, legitimate thing. But we... Should not be keeping score of our service to the Lord. At least it should not be the focus of what we do. I know we have tax records for giving here, and there's a good legal reason for that, and there's nothing wrong with that. I've known people over the years who say, I don't want a tax record, I'm just going to give in cash, and that's that. Lord bless you. Nothing wrong with the tax record. Here's what Jesus is saying though. Are you so focused on the gift and the giving that that's all you're thinking about? Or you just give, you just give, you just give. Second Corinthians nine, great verse. Let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly, not out of a necessity, not out of keeping score to say, see what I've done. But God loves a cheerful giver, And that word has come into our English language in the word hilarious. In other words, it's like, oh great, I get to give, boom. Is that how you feel when you put your offering in? I I will confess to you that I saw something in, in, in churches in Africa that concerned me a little bit and that was the offering dance. I have some video, but I thought better of it. I have video of Jason Nightingale doing the offering dance. You say, what is the offering dance? Well, they would have the offering box right there, or bag, or whatever it was, the plate. And so maybe Talia would be the first one. She'd get up, and she would, kind of a conga line type thing. (laughs) I'm not making this up. Put her offering in. And the conga line would go on, and, and as she gets up, and then the next people, whoever's going to give along here, they all kind of get up and join the conga line, and pretty soon, you, you, the conga line's going around in a big circle, and basically when you get back to your chair, you sit down again, but they would conga up and put their offering in. I think they were sincere in doing it. Don't get me wrong. I think it's a bad habit. We should just say, you know, I'm just giving. I'm just giving. I'm giving here. I'm giving there. I'm investing this way. I'm investing that way. I'm giving my time. Whatever it is, I'm just giving. The godly giver is focused on the next gift, not the last five. It's not how much I've given. It's, oh, hey, here's another opportunity. There's an opportunity. There's an opportunity. Now, I I understand there's challenges. There's There's times when I write that check, I get paid and I write that check and every once in a while I I stop and think some thoughts I shouldn't think. I understand that challenge. But that doesn't mean we don't say, you know, Lord, you've just blessed me and I'm just going to give and I'm not going to take any note of it. Servants of God don't keep track of the hours or the money they give. They're just focused on the next opportunity. Number three, sincere righteousness is rewarded. Look at verse four. Here's the blessing. Verse Well, verse three. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Do your charitable deed in secret and your Father who sees you will reward you. Verse 6, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 18, do not appear to be fasting, but your Father who is in the secret place and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. God repeated that phrase three times with these three examples so we would really get it. If you do whatever God asks of you for him, then he will reward you. Matthew 23 says, he who is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You don't ever need to fear not being recognized because the God of the universe takes note of every deed that you do, and he will recognize you in a way that is far beyond any human recognition you could ever get. Colossians 3, whatever you do, whatever you do for the Lord, do it heartily, as to the Lord, not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. That's what's so crazy in this whole Matthew 6 uh, principle and text is, could it be possible that we forget we're serving the Lord while we're doing the Lord's work? Peter put it this way Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. And I would challenge you with this the rewards of God are both temporal or now and eternal then. God knows when you need a pat on the back. God has created us to appreciate being appreciated. But God knows when you need it. Look at this from Romans 16. I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who's a servant of the church in Cenchrea, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and a sister in whatever business she has need for, for she has been a helper of many and of myself also. What better appreciation could there be than the Apostle Paul said, she has really helped me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles. They had such an impact on ministry that all of the churches that Paul ministered to were affected by them. Likewise, greet the church that's in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus who is the first fruits of Achaia. Greet Mary. And he goes on for the rest of the chapter. It is not wrong to appreciate people. In fact, it is very right. We ought to be, don't go away from this sermon and say, well, I'm not going to ever say thank you to another Christian because I don't want them to get their reward now want them to get it in heaven. That is not what this is about. This is about the individual saying, I will never go seeking praise or compliments or attaboys. That is not going to be my motive. My motive will be for the Lord, and the Lord will reward me. The eternal reward comes here. No other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, genuine deeds done for the Lord, or sinful deeds, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work. This is not purgatory to see if you're good enough for heaven. This is the fire of God's righteousness examining our life as Christians and burning up the stuff that was done for self and rewarding the stuff that was done for God, the gold, silver, precious stone. If anyone's work which he has built on, it endures, he will receive a reward. And it's presumed that some of our work will will stand up to God's evaluation and we will be rewarded. We will stand before the reward seat of Christ and he will recognize all of those things we have done sincerely for him. Saturday in our house is the day when the sheets get washed and we make the bed. And you know, there's something about clean sheets, they kind, of, they kind of tighten up and they kind of hold the bed up there and everything is smooth and all the blankets are perfect, that's very important to me. The pillowcase smells lovely, doesn't smell like me. And you go and you climb in there on Saturday night and you pull those covers up and you think, boy, it's going to be a great day tomorrow. That the bed holds you up and the covers hold you in. And it just feels so great. Walking in God's righteousness with a sincere desire to honor Him lets us rest from the worry and anxiety of trying to get praise for ourselves. The blessing of God means you don't have to wait for some praise for some person. You just do what God asks and leave the results to him. Father, help us. We don't want to be hypocrites. We do not want to do your work for a selfish reason. Lord, help us. Help us just to cleanse that out from our heart and to keep it cleansed every day And help us just to serve you and give to you and honor you and and do your work in the world. And, And Father, when you know that we need to be exalted, you give us encouragement now and in eternity. Thank you. Thank you for taking note of what we do. May you be honored even now today as we minister to one another. I pray in Christ's name, amen.